Thank you for coming, friends, and happy Sabbath. Uh, we are very grateful for the privilege of being able to come here to the university again and to open the Word of God and are especially looking forward to the programs this fall, next October, where we're going to be talking about the ultimate purpose and how to take theory and bring it into experience. And I hope even now you'll be praying for that. It's something that we're going to be uh, recording, pre presenting, and broadcasting here and inviting university and college students around the country, around the world really, because it'll be broadcast around the world from your campus to participate. And so even now, I hope that you'll be praying for that, that God will do something wonderful both here and abroad uh, with this special series that was designed to focus on what is the ultimate purpose in life. And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning in uh, addressing the nearness of God and that everywhere you go, God is there. And that every word of God is true. And you can believe it. There's power in this book that changes lives and it helps us become aware of the nearness of God. I remember hearing an interesting story years ago about a, uh, a retired lady that was reading her Bible on a public bus. And um, a man rode the bus with her frequently, and he noticed that she was always reading her Bible, and that troubled him because he was an atheist. I don't know, maybe his conscience was bothering him. And one day as he was standing holding on to the overhead rail, and she was sitting reading her Bible, he couldn't resist, and he looked down at her, and he said, uh, I see you're reading your Bible again. She said, yes, sir, it's the Word of God. And he, he said, you don't take it all literally, do you? And she said, absolutely, every word. He said, you mean to tell me that you believe that all of the stories in the Bible really happen? And she said, I believe it, every word. Every word is the word of God. And he said, so you're going to tell me that you believe the Lord created the world in six literal days? She said, God's word says it, and I believe it, and that settles it. And he said, I suppose you're going to tell me you believe that God told Noah to build a big boat and two of all the animals were put on that boat. She said, absolutely. God can do anything. I believe it. And he was just dumbfounded. He said, and I suppose you're even going to tell me that Jonah was swallowed by a whale and he lived inside that whale for three days and three nights. And she said, the Bible says it. I believe it. He said, how can a man live inside a whale for three days and three nights? It's just not possible. She says, I don't know. When I get to heaven, I'll ask him. And she, he said, well, what if Jonah isn't in heaven? She said, then you can ask him. <laughs> well, I'm one of these people who really does believe every word. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I used to be an atheist, or at least an agnostic. It depended on what day you asked me, but I certainly didn't believe the Bible was true, and I believe that all the stories in the Bible were fables and fairy tales, but that's not the case anymore. I believe this is the Word of God. And I believe the story of Jonah is one of the most important passages in the Bible. Indeed, in the Scripture reading, our Lord Jesus, if you believe the words of Jesus, referred to Jonah as a true story. 
And so if nothing else convinces you, the words of Jesus should convince you that he endorsed Jonah as a real event. As true as Jesus rose from the dead, that's how true it was that Jonah survived going through a fish. But there's a lot of also spiritual lessons in this story. Jesus said, no sign will be given to this generation except the sign of Jonah. That's a very important statement for Jesus to make. By the way, he also makes that same statement in the Gospel of Luke as well. But I want you to turn to the book of Jonah with me. We're going to take a little marathon and see if we can get quickly through the book of Jonah and find out what it says to us today about the nearness of God, for one thing, and his plan for our lives. Jonah chapter 1. You'll find the book of Jonah just after the book of Obadiah in your Bibles among the minor prophets. Now the word of the Lord, Jonah starts in a wonderful way, starts with the word. Jesus is the word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Jonah means dove. Amittai means loyal or true. Jesus was spirit-filled and he was the truth. And it says, arise, the word of God lifts us. Arise and go. The whole plan of salvation is summed up in two great utterances. Matthew chapter 11, where we are invited to come to Jesus. Come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And then it's summed up in the great commission. Go, therefore, and teach all nations. It's sort of like this. Everything is a love relationship. Love your neighbor. It's this horizontal love relationship, and it's this vertical. But before you can love each other, you must love God. First, you come to Jesus in this love relationship, and then after you've fallen in love with Jesus, you can't keep it to yourself, then you go for Jesus in this love relationship. And so Jonah had grown up in the church. He ostensibly knew God. He was among the people of Israel. And God said, look, there's some lost people I want you to talk to. I want you to go and tell them so they'll turn from their sins, that there's hope. Go to Nineveh, that great city. Now, wait a second, Lord. Nineveh, they're not Jews. You mean you want me to get out of the land of Israel and go talk to the pagans? Go to the Gentiles. That great city and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going down to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. A little footnote that I think is fascinating. Here you've got Jonah being told to go and to speak to the Gentiles. And from the place where he leaves the land of Israel because he doesn't want to talk to the Gentiles, 800 years later, God speaks to Peter and he tells him to go and talk to the Gentiles in the same town of Joppa. Sends him to talk to Cornelius. What Jonah didn't want to do from that same town, the apostles are later told to do. Now, Tarshish was... You know, some have wondered, was it the Hebrew way of saying Tarsus, or was it talking about Tarshish, this furthermost city off the coast of Spain, where they, um, 
they actually did metal smelting there. It's a very ancient name. Now, my ears always perk up a little bit because you've heard me mention more than once that I'm half Jewish. My mother's maiden name was Tarshish, or Tarshish, as you would say. And um, my grandfather could never make up his mind. Sometimes he told me I was related to the Apostle Paul, and other times he told me I was related to Jonah. And I don't think either are true, but it always made for a good story, and I wasn't sure what to think about that. And so he went to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, how possible is that? Can we flee from God's presence? Can you run from the Lord? It's like when our children were little and they wanted to play hide and seek. They think they could hide from us by closing their eyes. What are you doing? I'm hiding from you. You can't hide from God. And yet some of us, we sometimes think that God isn't seeing what's happening. Not only does he see everything we do, he sees everything we think. We're reminded of this when we read in the Psalms. Go to Psalm 139, and you can start with verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your right hand shall lead me and your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely darkness will fall over me, even the night will be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. And you'll find before the story is over that even in the deepest darkness, Jonah could not hide from God. There's nowhere that we can leave God's presence. You know, there's another verse I was thinking of that reminds me of this. Jeremiah 23. Last night I talked to you about Jeremiah chapter 23, 23. That said, God says, I am not a God far off, but I am a God near. This is the next verse. Can anyone hide himself in secret places? So I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? God is omnipresent. Now, there are times where the blessing and approval of the Lord might be withdrawn from a person, but there's nowhere you can go where God does not see you. So Jonah didn't want to go talk to the pagans. And you can understand his apprehension. I mean, the relationship between the people of Nineveh and the people of Israel back in Jonah's day was about as good as the relationship is between the Palestinians and the Jews today. And so for Jonah to be told he's supposed to march up and down the streets in this hostile enemy city and tell them that imminent judgment from God is coming because they are sinners is like, you know, going to some Islamic countries and telling them that Muhammad is a false prophet. You'd probably have a pretty short missionary experience if you did that. And so you can understand, Jonah says, I'm, I'm not only not going, in case the Lord wants to keep convicting me, I'm going the other way. So instead of going east, he goes west. Now, he was a prophet of God, and that not only does Jesus talk about Jonah, you'll find Jonah mentioned in 2 Kings 14, verse 25. He lived between 790 and 750 B.C. during the reign of King Jeroboam II. He is a real historical character. He was a prophet of God. He foretold other things besides this experience you find written in the book that bears his name. 
But there's a lot we can learn from this story. He thought he could hide from God, so he arose and he fled. The word of God said, arise, but when Jonah didn't want to listen to the word of God, you notice what happened? It says he went down to Joppa. It doesn't tell us quite where he started. That's on the coast. Then he found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. By the way, sin always has a tax. If you are doing something that you know God doesn't want you to do, if you are rejecting or ignoring the will of God for you in some area of your life, there's a cost. If you're going to run from God, you will pay. Nobody is able to hide their resources so they don't have to pay that tax for sin. We will all pay the fare to run from God. Now, in this message, I'm especially appealing to the young people here. God has a plan for you. I can tell you right now, His plan for you includes Him. And so as you're thinking about your plan for your life, I hope that at the center of your plan for your life is God. And that at the core of your philosophy and your worldview of what your plan is for your life, you're saying, Lord, how can I live a life that will glorify you and reach and serve my fellow man. So often, and I've been to a lot of schools all over the world, I've been to, praise the Lord, a lot of our universities and schools and colleges and academies. And I'll tell you, one of my principal concerns is when young people start getting ready to launch out, they're there at the cusp of adventure for their life, and they're thinking about what do I want to do when they really should be saying, Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? They use as criteria, how much will this career pay? Wonder what the benefits are. Will I be able to afford the nice house and the nice car and the expensive wife or husband? What, what kind of job? Please don't approach life that way. What profit is it to you if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? At the core of your decision for your happiness and for God's glory ought to be, Lord, what do you want me to do? Are you running from God's will for your life? I'll tell you right now, He wants everyone to be a missionary in one way or another. Whatever your gifts are, they're to be dedicated to God and used in some capacity to reach the lost for Jesus. In the end, what Christ is going to say when he separates the sheep from the goats, he'll say, I was hungry, did you give me food? I was thirsty, did you give me drink? I was naked, did you clothe me? I was sick or in prison, did you visit me? I was a stranger, did you take me in? Everything that Jesus is going to judge by, those criteria have to do, you notice they're not sins of commission, they're sins of omission. Did you reach out to the people in the world around you when they were hungry, did you give them the bread of life? When they were thirsty, did you give them the living water? When they were naked, did you clothe them with the robe of righteousness? When they were imprisoned by sin or sick with sin or alienated strangers from me, did you introduce them to me? In that great judgment day, he'll say, did you love your brother? He's not going to say, what kind of car did you have? What kind of house did you have? Did you have prominence and position? That'll be worth nothing to God. 
The big thing for God is going to be, did you love me and did you live to serve and glorify me and your fellow man? Jonah said, Lord, this is not going to be convenient. I will not be popular. I'm not going to do it. So he arose and he fled. And it says he went down and he went down. Then he found a ship. And you know, I imagine his conscience was bothering him a little bit. He's a prophet. He ought to know better. Grew up in the church. But he didn't want to do this. And so um, as he goes down to Joppa and he says, oh, look, it just so happens there's a ship and it's going west, which is where I want to go. And you know, it looks like I'll, I'll, I'll throw a fleece out before the Lord. Lord, if there is an empty bunk on that ship, then I'll take it as a sign that you're going to leave me alone and I can go. And so he goes and he asks the captain, he says, you know, I'm thinking about going west. Is this ship going west? It's going west. Oh, Lord, that's providential. It's going west. You don't have any spare room. I see you're ready to set sail. What so happens that we do have spare room. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. And how much is that? Well, it's going to be $50 or shekels, whatever. Just so happens I've got enough money, right ship going the right direction. Oh, thank the Lord. I can see providentially this must be your will. And as they release from land, a gentle breeze begins to blow them west. And Jonah's thinking, oh, praise the Lord. I've got the blessing of God. Everything's going well. It must be his will. People can deceive themselves sometimes by looking at circumstances instead of the Word of God. God's Word does not change. You'd be surprised how many times I've talked to people. And a young lady will say, Pastor Doug, I'm divorcing my husband. And as I talk to them, they'll say, well, there's somebody else that God's brought into my life. My husband's just such a monster. But I've met this other person. We have everything in common. And God just seems to be blessing our relationship. And there's so many providential things that I see that are happening that tell us that we're supposed to be together. It must be meant from God. You can rationalize and talk yourself into anything because as soon as you've made up your mind you don't want to obey God, you are now on the devil's ground and he will play with your head. And you can talk yourself into thinking any old sin is okay when you've made up your mind you don't want to do what God says to do. And Jonah, a prophet of God, raised in the church, somehow convinced himself that going the opposite direction of what the word of the Lord told him to do would be okay. And he consoled himself so much that by the time the ship set sail, probably into its first day, he was so tired of running from God and went down, found his hammock down below, the lowest part of the ship. He went down, 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 getting ready to go down one more time. ship was rocking gently in his hammock. He went to sleep, folded his arms on his chest, smiled and said, at last, peace. But you know, God loves us. And in his mercy for us, sometimes he sends trouble into our lives to save us. But. Got your Bibles? Verse 4, but. The Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Now, this is no normal wind. It just started as a small wind, and then it got more and more violent, more and more violent. Pretty soon, the waves are mounting, and the poor little ship is like a cork, and it's going down, and it's coming up, and the waves are battering the ship, and all the edges that are caulked 
And those primitive ships begin to sprout leaks, and the ship is linking, and they actually had primitive pumps on those ancient ships, and the sailors are pumping away, and they realize this is a supernatural storm, and their lives are at risk. The mariners, the sailors are so afraid, these pagan Gentile sailors, every man cried out to his God. They're praying. They're praying for salvation, and what is God's prophet doing? He's snoring. Jonah represents God's people, not only in the time of Israel, but he also represents God's people today. And he probably represents some of us. The Lord put the people of Israel in the land that they were in so they could be a witness to the lost nations around them. But like the parable of the rich men and Lazarus, they feasted among themselves. They said, all the Gentiles are wicked dogs. They're all lost. Like beggars, they laid at their gate, desiring the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. The mariners are praying to God, and the man of God is sleeping. You know, the people in the world out there are starving for what we have. They're hungering for the truth that we know. And often we're asleep. Could I tell you a quick story? This just happened about a week ago. And I don't know how to say this without, uh, I hope I have time. Let me just, uh, there is a, I'm going right now to a religious broadcaster's convention that is going to be uh, taking place for the next few days because Amazing Facts broadcasts will be networking with different media entities and, and broadcasters to try and get some more stations and, and time or better deals on the time. And all the other Christian broadcasters are there as well. And it's a pretty prominent meeting. Presidents have been there several times to speak to the broadcasters. Uh, and one of the prominent uh, Christian broadcasters in North America is a gentleman by the name of David Jeremiah. Any of you heard that name, Turning Point Ministries? Let me see your hands. Okay, some of you have heard that name. Good preacher, good man. I don't agree with him on everything, but he's a good man. We've met before, eaten together, and he's just got a heart for the Word of God. Well, he came to Sacramento last week. And somehow I was on his mailing list, and he sent Karen and I some free tickets to go to this event. He rented the arena where the Sacramento Kings play. It's the largest arena. It's a stadium in the Sacramento area. It's the Arco Arena. They just changed the name. And um, it was Friday night. And I thought, you know, I don't know whether or not I should go because uh, I've got Sabbath school and church, and Friday night, you know, I, I get ready and but I felt impressed that I should go. And uh, so I prayed about it and finally said, no, nah, I don't want to go. And Karen said, no, you got me excited. I'm going with you or without you. So I thought, well, I better go. <laughs> so Karen and Nathan and I went to the Arco Arena. And uh, now keep in mind, Pastor Jeremiah, before he came, he worked with all the other pastors, you know, or many of the evangelical pastors in town to tell their members about this and to bring their churches and because he's rented a stadium that seats thousands of people. And uh, this is a non-Seventh-day Adventist meeting. Did everyone understand that? So I went and Karen and I got there early because we knew it'd be busy and we got special seating down right on the floor, four seats from the front of where the program was because we also broadcast with KFIA and they had special seating for any of the KFIA broadcasters. So Karen and I said, praise the Lord. We went down and we sat in the KFIA radio seating. 
And so they went through the preliminaries and they played some evangelical music and they had the band and stuff and, and I saw the cameras were there and I thought, oh man, they're going to take an audience shot of Pastor Doug here in this contemporary discotheque. And I thought, I don't know what, you know, so I'm going like this and because they're recording it for television. But, uh, you know, they're very talented musicians, but a little different music than I would be used to, you know. And um, Dr. Jeremiah came out, did some announcements, some promotion, offering more music, and came out just before he starts the sermon. He looks down in the fourth row, and he says, we have a special guest here today. <laughs> <laughs> we are honored that Brother Doug Batchelor with Amazing Facts is here today. He's got pro TV programs on all over the world. In fact, my grandson said, Grandpa, he says, Doug Batchelor's on TV more than Law and Order. <laughs> he said, Doug, will you please stand? And everybody claps. And then I sit down. I didn't stand for long. Because I thought, oh, they're taping this. <laughs> After he said that, before he started his sermon, all of these, there were three black ministers sitting in front of me. They all three turned around and said, we see your broadcast all the time. We sure appreciate your ministry. Charismatic ministers. Guy sitting on the right and left of Karen. He says, I watch your programs up in Salem, Oregon. Says, love it. And I thought, maybe he's a Seventh-day Adventist. Then he started speaking in tongues later in the service. <laughs> and I realized he was a charismatic pastor. A charismatic pastor. All these people from these different evangelical churches, thousands of people were there, all came up. They said, can we get your picture? Will you sign our program? I was signing David Jeremiah's books. <laughs> now, I'll tell you the reason I stuck that in. It just absolutely shocked Karen and I how many non-Seventh-day Adventists are drinking in the message and are hungry for it. They are crying out to their God for truth. But what is Jonah doing? Sleeping. The Seventh-day Adventist church has the message the world is looking for. We are not just another denomination. We are the coalescing of biblical truth through the ages. God has given this people and the world needs this message. He's told us to go and to tell the world this message. But we're almost embarrassed. We think, oh, what will happen to us? They don't want to hear it. They're not going to like us. That's not what I'm finding, friends. If we will live and proclaim the truth, yes, some people, <laughs> there were a few people at even that meeting last week, they kind of looked at me and went, oh, you're that guy causing our church trouble. But so many people came up and said, we appreciate this message. It's the truth. I won't put them on the spot, but they're here today. Yesterday I was, uh, it's kind of funny, I was in my room studying, I kept thinking, I've got to get out and go take a walk. I've been in my room too long. I gotta, and I kept like getting ready to go, I more to study. I, kept, uh, I better pray. Get, and finally I said, okay, I'm going, that's it. It's a sunny day, I've got to get out and go walk a little bit. And I go down to the lobby, and at the very moment that I'm in the lobby in my hotel, a couple is checking in, and they kind of yelp and go, Pastor Doug. And they drove up from Atlanta gentleman said, I was a Seventh-day Adventist about 40 years ago, but I left. Married a lovely wife. I gathered she was not raised in the church. They said, 
about a year ago, we started watching your programs in Channel 2 in Atlanta. And we've come back to the church now. We heard you were going to be up here, and we drove up. People out there are hungering for the message. And there's a lot of people out there that started out with the message that drifted away, and they realized there's nothing else, and they're coming back. So for the young people, take a lesson. You might go out there in the world and think, oh, this is where the satisfaction and joy is. And you might be thinking to yourself, you know, I'm going to go have some fun first. Yeah, I've got to find out for myself. You know, this is the religion of my church and my family, but I've got to find out for myself what's going on. Let me translate that for you. I'm going to go sin for a while under the pretense of finding out what's going on. And then when I feel like I got it out of my system, I'll come back. It's not always so easy. You can't always start, stop the storm on demand. There's usually a, a fare that you pay. And God sent a great storm. The mariners are crying out to their God, and the mariners are now paying for Jonah's sin. They're throwing everything overboard. Think about that. These Gentiles, they are religious people. They are praying to their God, and they're willing to sacrifice everything they've got for life because they're throwing everything on the ship overboard to float a little longer. They just want to float a little longer. You've maybe heard me share, my brother had cystic fibrosis. My older brother. I have one real brother. And um, his name was Falcon. My dad named us after airplanes. I was named Douglas after the McDonnell Douglas DC craft. My brother was named Falcon. He already had a tough time with cystic fibrosis, but growing up with the name Falcon Bachelor, they really teased him a lot. But he really struggled breathing, just breathing. And I remember not too long before my brother passed away, he lived to 35. We were out walking around a golf course one day. He tried to run a little bit, and he'd stop, and he'd cough, and he'd rest, and then we'd talk and walk some more. And I said, you know, Doug, he knew how religious I was. He said, if there's a God, he's not very fair. I said, why do you say that? He said, well, why would he make you so healthy and so stupid? And he made me so smart, but I'm sick. <clears throat> it's just a waste. Your brothers can talk to each other like that. And he said, you know, Doug, I'd, I'd give everything I have if I could have your lungs. And you've got to know my brother, he stayed, he was good. I was the black sheep in the family. And he worked for dad as long as his health permitted. And he had a house on the beach in Miami Beach and the boat and the new car and the toys. And, and he said, I'd give everything I had if I could have a little more of this life. He knew he was terminal. And I never forgot, he didn't even believe in everlasting life. He was willing to give everything for a little more of this life. It's like Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, a lengthening of your tranquility. Just a little longer. Can I live a little longer? Some of us are praying that God will heal us. You might be sick, so you could live a little longer and sin a little longer. Your first thing we ought to pray about is that we might be healed for eternity, that you might have everlasting life. Sailors are throwing everything overboard. I've got to move along or I'll never get Jonah down the whale. <clears throat> 
And so they're throwing everything overboard, and it says, but Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. He's not only sleeping, he's snoring deep. You know, I've, I've seen several people, almost weekly, I see people sleeping in my church on Sabbath. And I understand I've fallen asleep in church before. Sometimes it's just the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. You all know what I'm talking about? But when people begin to snore out loud like that, then that's a little different. So the captain, there he's down in the lowest parts of the ship looking. Now, what part of the ship was he in? That's usually the stern because the bow is higher in the water. Do you find in the New Testament someone sleeping in the lowest part of a boat during a storm? No sign will be given but the sign of Jonah. Jesus said, if you want to know who I am, you got to read the Old Testament. And he says, what do you mean, O sleeper? Arise and call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us that we may not perish. Did the disciples wake Jesus up and say, Lord, they were out in the middle of the sea in the storm with the waves and the wind, and he was asleep in the lowest part of the ship, and they woke him up and they asked the question, Master, carest not thou that we perish? Do you not care that we're perishing? What a question to ask Jesus. Does Jesus care that we're perishing? They were in that storm, in that boat, bailing for all they had, throwing everything overboard, and they forgot Jesus was in the boat. And what they needed to do was wake Jesus up. He was right there with them. And whatever storm you might be going through, it might be a supernatural storm. It might be a storm of your making. Sometimes we need to turn to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm perishing. We need to wake up. Arise, O sleeper, call on your God. Perhaps he'll consider us that we may not perish. And here's my question, friends. Will God consider us that we may not perish? Why did Jesus come? Because he doesn't want us to perish. And they said to one another, come, let's cast lots that we might know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. Why is this happening? So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Was somebody in the New Testament casting lots near Jesus at the cross? No sign will be given but the sign of Jonah. And they turned to him. They turned to this runaway prophet. And they say, please tell us. We're looking for answers, and you've got the answers. You know, there's going to be a day... I believe that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the equivalent of Israel today. That God, not that all Seventh-day Adventists are going to be saved. We've got as many problems as ancient Israel, maybe more, because the devil's been practicing. But what makes us similar is in the same way that God has committed to the people of Israel the oracles of truth in the Old Testament, He committed His word to them. He has committed His truth to this movement in a special way. We've got all the same fruits and nuts in the church and problems and ups and downs and hypocrisy. We've got all the things Israel had. Amen? But we've got the answers. Jesus said to the woman at the well when she was arguing about what mountain to worship on, he said, let's settle this right here and now. Salvation is of the Jews. 
Yeah, there's good people in many religions, and there's a lot of people looking for truth, and there are elements of truth in every religion. But Jesus said, salvation is of the Jews. Paul said to the Jew first. Why? Because he had given them the truth, the word. They had it. Well, if I was to modernize that statement, what Jesus would say today is, I have given the Adventists the truth. What a privilege. But maybe we forget and we don't appreciate it. And they come to us for answers. For whose cause is this trouble upon us? And what is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And what people are you of? They asked seven questions. Verse 10. They said, why have you done this? That's a good question. Why would you go west when God says go east? Why would you disobey God? Why did you run from the Lord? And then finally, big question, verse 11. What shall we do to you that the sea may become for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. You notice it says here, a mighty wind in verse 4, a mighty tempest in verse 4, verse 11, more tempestuous. And then Jonah finally comes to his wits. He's finally woken up, and he realizes that he's now paying for running from God. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. He's making a prophecy. He's a prophet. For I know that this tempest is because of me. You know why there's a tempest in the world today? It's because of Jesus. It's because the devil hates Jesus. There's a great controversy between good and evil. And the reason that the devil torments you and me is because Jesus loves you. And the way for him to hurt Jesus is by hurting you. And you're just being used as pawns in a much bigger cosmic conflict between Christ and Satan. And Jonah said, it's because of me. Why didn't Jonah just say, look, I know this is all my fault, so I'm going to jump overboard. If you'll set up a plank, I'll walk the plank. Why did he say, you must throw me overboard. You must offer me. Because he's a type of Christ in this story. And the only way that we're going to have peace from the storm is when we accept Jesus as our sacrifice. We need to take responsibility for offering him. Well, they didn't want to do that. In some ways, these pagan sailors are more humane. They said, you know, even though our lives are on the line and we may perish, well, that would be like murder. We're respecting your life. We're not going to do that. And so they do everything they can to save themselves by their works. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship to land, but they could not, notice here, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord. Finally, they realized, look, the ship is just floundering. It's about to go down any moment. If there's any hope at all in what this man is saying, what difference does it make? We're all about to perish. Let's heave them overboard. It'd just be a few seconds before we go down. What have we got to lose? But they were still afraid of having innocent blood on their hands when they faced God in the judgment. And so they prayed. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord. You notice they're not praying to their gods with a small g. They're not talking to Jehovah. They were really frightened when Jonah said, I am, I am a Jew and I serve the God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea. 
They had all these different gods. So now they're praying to Jehovah. We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood. Did Pilate say at the trial of Christ, I find no fault in him? Was Jesus innocent? For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you, says in Isaiah 53. It pleased the Lord to bruise him for our sakes. So they picked up Jonah. And they threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. They made covenants with God. After they offered Jonah, Jonah was a willing sacrifice, wasn't he? Was Jesus a willing sacrifice? They said, this is innocent blood. They declared that Jesus was innocent before he was sacrificed. They cast lots. There were lots that were cast at the cross. And as soon as Jonah awoken from his sleep, awakened from his sleep, tossed overboard, all of a sudden the waves flattened out. The wind immediately stopped blowing. The sea had not just a calm, but there was a great calm. It became glassy quiet. And they could still see Jonah floundering in the water. And up from the deep, they saw what they first thought was a little fishy. But the water had become so peaceful and clear, they realized it wasn't a little fishy. As it came to the top, it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon they saw that it was monstrous. And there was this big gulp and splash as it broke the surface of the water, enveloping Jonah in its maw in one single gulp. And then it wiggled its massive tail and slid beneath the surface. And it says, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. <laughs> now the Lord, verse 17, had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I don't know. I ought to take a moment and talk about this just because this has been a troublesome verse for many people. If you read there in Matthew chapter 12, it says, for as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. So what day of the week was Jesus crucified? Friday, correct. And so he was laid in the tomb Friday afternoon. Jesus even kept the Sabbath in his death. Went to sleep just before Sabbath, woke up after it was over. So that would be part of Friday, all day Sabbath, We've got Friday night, we've got Saturday night, he rises Sunday morning, but Matthew specifically says three days and three nights. How do you reconcile those two where you've only got, yes, you do have part of three days, part of Friday, Saturday, part of Sunday, but you don't have three nights. Let me see if I can help you with that. Everyone automatically assumes that the heart of the earth is the tomb. Where in the Bible does it call the heart of the earth the tomb? The word there used in the Greek where Jesus says it is cardia, and it's the heart, the midst. It's talking about in the grips of, in the middle of. For three days and three nights, Jesus was suffering for the sins of the world, like Jonah was in the belly of the fish. 
When did the suffering of Christ begin? Was it when he died on the cross? Or did he begin suffering in Gethsemane? Matter of fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, four times you read the Gospels, Jesus says, right around the time of his betrayal when he's arrested, now is the hour, now is the hour, this is the hour, now is the hour. Something began Thursday night. After Jesus inaugurated the new covenant with a last supper, Thursday night, they went to the garden, he prayed, he said, not my will, thy will be done. Three times, sweating blood, the mob came, he then began to suffer for the sins of the world. Now you think about this for just a moment. Every other time in the life of Jesus, when someone came to arrest him, he just disappeared or he slipped through their fingers and they never really touched him. I think even Judas thought that Christ was going to do something to free himself somehow. But he didn't do it this time. He continued to allow them to beat him and to torture him and he was buffeted in the trial and mocked and whipped. And his sufferings were Thursday night. Penalty for sin is not just death. Penalty for sin is suffering and death. The wicked do not just die in the lake of fire. Every man is rewarded according to his works. Isn't that right? Jesus began to suffer for our sins. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. He rose Sunday morning. Three days and three nights he was in the heart of the earth. Heart of the earth has nothing to do with the tomb. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Does that mean the tomb? In earth means in the world. For three days and three nights, Jesus was in the clutches of the devil like that sea monster. He was carried wherever that beast took him. He went from trial to trial, from mob to mob. He said, no sign will be given but the sign of Jonah. Now here's the part of the story that I especially don't want you to miss. Jonah, the Bible tells us, had a rough, he had a rough three days. I believe this is a true story. Ah, don't. Talk to me about, well, fish can't swallow. You know, there is one modern story of someone, James Bartley, when I say modern, 1891, who was a whaler, whaling off the Falcons, giant 80-foot sperm whale. There are two boats sent out to spear him. They speared the boat, went down, took down 800 feet of line with him, came back up, rammed one of the boats, sending all the men flying off into the water. One was never found. The other men got back to the boat, and actually two of the men disappeared. Uh, they got back to the boat, and since the whale had died, they went on with their work of butchering the whale. Twelve hours later, they got to the gut of the whale, and they saw something moving inside. They opened it up, and there was James Bartley inside, unconscious, but still alive. And to this day, you can find his grave back in England. He gave up sailing, as you might imagine, when he was finally rescued. <laughs> sailing and whaling. It doesn't matter to me whether it was a whale, whether it was a sperm whale can swallow a man. They eat giant squid. Baleen whales cannot. They eat plankton. It could have been a giant grouper. I don't know. It says the Lord prepared a fish. He could have made a special fish. It could have been some freak fish. There were two fish crossed and got radioactive poisoning. I don't know. It, the Lord can do it. I just don't doubt it, right? All things are possible with God. Do you believe that? So the Lord prepared a fish. And what also struck me as something that gives me shivers is that if Jonah was alive inside the digestive system of that creature, that fish evidently didn't chew, could have swallowed lots of things alive. Jonah could have been in there 
fighting for a little pocket of air inside the gut of that fish, and there could have been jellyfish in there, other little octopus. I don't know what the plural is, octopi. I don't know. Can you imagine that? Bioluminescent things flashing, jellyfish stinging, and he's in there. It must have been like Hades to be in there three days and three nights. But, you know, the Bible tells us that Jonah prayed from the belly of the fish. Kind of like Jesus' prayer in the garden, I suppose. How can God hear a prayer like that? We're trying to build a studio out in California. Amazing fact, we're taking our old warehouse. We're trying to convert this old warehouse. We've resisted doing it for years because it's an industrial area and there's a lot of noise. And they're telling us now that we can insulate it enough. So we're going to carefully insulate the space to do some recording. And it's amazing to me that they can do it so that you're not going to hear the trucks going by and the railroad. We have a railroad nearby and we can do some quiet recording. Talk about ultimate insulation. To be inside a fish at the bottom of the mountains. How could God see you there? I mean, Jonah wanted to run from God. I think a little voice said to him when he felt his ears getting compressed down at the bottom of the fish and the bottom of that, the mountains, Mariana Trench. And God said, is this far enough for you, Jonah? You wanted to run from me. How's this? You have peace now? And Jonah prayed. Aren't you glad that as soon as you turn to God, no matter where you are, God can hear? If Jonah's prayer can reach the Lord in his temple, and it says right here that he prayed to God in his temple. He went down to the bottom of the mountains. I'm in chapter 2. In verse 7 it says, My prayer went up to you in your temple. If God could hear Jonah's prayer from the bottom of the mountains, inside the fish, in a dark black ocean, I scuba dive, and once you go down 100 feet, it starts getting really dark. A year ago, Karen and I went diving in Belize with the largest fish in the world. They're the shark whales, and we didn't know whether they'd come or not. You never know. We had the boys with us, and wow, it was pretty exciting. We saw four of them come up from the deep, and we were down 60 feet. They were 80 feet, and all of a sudden, these leviathan came up. Oh, I thought of Jonah. They're massive, big whale sharks. Even more exciting than that was when a nurse shark swam by, Nathan and I, at the same time. From there, God heard his prayer. Do you think God hears your prayer? How far away is he? Is he ever too far where you can't call out to him? And God heard his prayer. And he commanded the fish, and the fish, says the fish vomited Jonah onto dry land. And I heard one pastor say that a hypocrite will even make a fish nauseous. <laughs> so then what happens? Oh, you know, there is this verse I wanted to read you. It's, it's kind of amazing. Actually, it's when I say verse, it's a quote from the book, Moby Dick. It's amazing, amazing piece of literature. In the book, there's a sermon about Jonah. And it's an incredible piece of English literature describing this experience. Herman Melville says here, The ribs and terrors in the whale arched o'er me a dismal gloom. 
while all God's sunlit waves rolled by and lift me deepening down to doom. I saw the opening maw of hell with endless pains and sorrows there, which none but they that feel can tell, oh, I was plunging to despair. In black distress I called my God when I could scarce believe him mine. He bowed his ear to hear my complaint, no more the wail did me confine. With speed he flew to my relief, as on a radiant dolphin born. Awful yet bright as lightning shone the face of my deliverer God. My song forever shall record the terrible, that joyful hour. I give the glory to my God, his all, the mercy and the power. Ooh, those are some powerful words describing that experience of being so far to go from God and yet having him hear you. You know what's amazing about this? Jonah then comes out of the fish and it says, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah the second time. What do you think the word of the Lord says to him the second time? Same thing it said to him the first time. It said, arise and go. And it tells us that Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. Now that's another verse the scholars struggle with because even if Jonah was burped out God's so good. Couldn't the fish just have regurgitated Jonah and make him swim the last hundred yards? But he swam right up to the beach. Once he repented, God forgave him. He said, okay, red carpet treatment. Rolled out his red tongue, burped him right out there on the shore. <clears throat> God is good. And he probably took him to the closest part of the Mediterranean if you want to transit the desert and get to Nineveh. But on the fastest horse, going 120 miles a day, you'd have to change horses every day. That would be three days' journey. That's a long way. It says it was an exceeding great city of three days' journey, and then he entered the city, half a day's journey, and then he preached in 40 years, in 40 days rather, it would be destroyed. Think about it, friends. How long was the ministry of Jesus? The ministry. From his baptism to his death, how long? Three and a half years. What is a day in prophecy? Jonah goes three and a half days into Nineveh and begins to preach that in 40 days it would be destroyed. Didn't Jesus say to the children of Israel, this generation will not pass away till all these things be fulfilled, speaking of the destruction of the temple for one thing? He made that prediction in about 30 A.D., 70 A.D., 40 years later, it was destroyed. Jesus said, no sign will be given to this generation but the sign of Jonah. In the same way that Christ's resurrection should have been a sign for them that they needed to repent. That's why Jesus said the people of Nineveh will rise up against this generation because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and a greater than Jonah is here. So are we going to run from God? God's got a plan for your life. It's a good plan. People will be saved. Jonah finally goes to Nineveh. He preaches and he thinks they're going to kill me any minute. But you know what happened? God had been working on their hearts before Jonah ever got there. He had been working on them with the Holy Spirit. The people were convicted of their sins. And when Jonah showed up and he begins to preach, and it might have helped a little bit that he still had octopi tentacles stuck to him and his flesh was a little bleached and he had a story about big fish story. Did Jesus use fishermen to preach? That's, boy, I tell you, if Jesus can preach the truth with fishermen, there's hope for all of us, right? And the people repented. 
There was a massive revival, biggest revival in the Bible comes as the result of Jonah preaching, and he didn't even want to do that meeting. Whole nation, thousands repent. They make the animals repent. The king, some believe his name was Sargon, from him down to the poorest. Now Jonah's mad. He thought that God would destroy him. He didn't like him. Still hadn't learned to love his enemies. He goes up there and waits for the city to be destroyed, and God makes a gourd grow, and the gourd grows when God tells it to. Then God brings a worm along, and the worm eats the gourd, and somebody wrote down that the story of Jonah covers every aspect of life. It covers economics. He paid a fare. Meteorology. There was a storm. Oceanography. There were waves. Marine biology. Big fish. Sociology, the sailors and the Ninevites. Zoology, politics. Botany, the gourd. Etymology, the worm. Everything is covered in this story. You notice everybody in the story listens to God? Do the sailors listen to God? The storm listens to God. The waves listen to God. The whale listens to God. The worm listens to God. The gourd listens to God. Everyone listens to God except Jonah. Do we have any Jonas here today? Are there some here that maybe you know the Lord has been calling you? He has a work for you to do and you've been resisting doing it? Or maybe some realize that you're down in the whale and you've been struggling with being captive because of your sins, and you want to be free. Will God hear your prayer, or have you gone too far? If the Lord can reach Jonah, he can reach you. I'd like to invite our musicians to, to begin sharing, and I'd like to make an appeal. Matter of fact, we have some people prepared, I believe, that have some cards to give out. And if they would do that at this time, and then we'll close with prayer. We've got some cards. We would like to pray for you, and there are people who are working with the GYC um, team that will follow up as well as we can. But I would like to just uh, ask everyone to be praying right now. I know that it's easy in a group like this for people to have places to go and to be stirring, but please re respect the presence of God's Spirit here right now. Have you heard God speak into your heart? Is there some area in your life where perhaps you've become distracted with the cares of life? Then I'd like to appeal to you now and say, Lord, I want to surrender to you with all of my heart. When Jonah surrendered, thousands were saved. When Jonah ran from God, people were perishing. And Jesus doesn't want us to perish. You know, before we close with prayer, I'd like to ask you where you are. Would everyone please just stand? Just quietly stand. I'm not asking you to stand, run for the door. Just stand where you are and be praying. I want to have special prayer for you. But I want to have special, special prayer for some of you who maybe realize God is calling you and you've been resisting. Or maybe you've been running the wrong direction. And you're wanting to say, Lord, I want to follow your word. I want to do your will for my life. I want out of the storm. I want people to be saved. 
I want you to use me. I want to invite you to come to the front. I had everyone stand, make it a little easier. Come right up here, right now, as they're, as they're playing. Don't wait for someone else to do something. Praise the Lord. I see some coming. I want to have special prayer for you. Are you looking for a good time to say, Lord, one of these days I'm going to surrender all to you, and I'm going to live entirely for you. This is a really good time right now. The best time to do God's will is when you're hearing God's speaking to you. The best time to listen to God's voice is when you're hearing His voice. Praise the Lord. Come, come up front. Don't be bashful. Sometimes folks are worried about what someone else might think, and don't worry about what they think. We're all sinners here. Amen? We can be saved by God's grace. And God's calling us to be saints. Some of you feel like you've been on a whale ride and you want off. And you know it's because you're not surrendering to the Lord. You can do that right now. Things can change. You can call out. He's not very far. He'll hear your prayer. Come, let's pray together. Some of you have come to a Christian institution and you're not sure what you're doing. And you think, you know, the Lord is calling me to do some mission work. And maybe you're resisting or you haven't surrendered to that yet. You might want to right now make a decision. Lord, I hear you speaking to me. I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. Serve wherever you want me to serve. Come. Come near to God right now. We're going to pray together. I know there are probably people out there that feel a struggle in your heart. And when there's a public appeal like this, you might be thinking, well, I don't want to be a spectacle, and, but I am feeling something happen inside. And people come to me at the door and they say, Pastor Doug, I felt like I wanted to come forward, but I was afraid. Why do I have to do it publicly? Well, you don't have to, but Jesus died for you publicly. And at some point along the way, people get baptized publicly. You need to confess him, and he will confess your name before the angels. Come now before we pray. And I'd like you, if you have any device to write with, please fill out the papers and following prayer. Turn them in to the attendants or myself. Our time is up. I see some more coming. Please come. We'll wait a moment longer, you know. Boy, if it's going to make a difference in eternity, we can wait. Amen, friends? Praise God. And I trust we're all praying in our hearts. I believe God is present here right now and angels are here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Sabbath. We thank you, Lord, for your presence here right now. And dear Lord, we thank you for the message of hope and warning in this unusual book. We all find ourselves in the story somewhere. There's a storm in this world, and we know that you have sent your son here to bring peace, but we must offer him. Just as the sailors found peace when they offered up Jonah, we find peace by waking up Jesus and having him calm the storm. Lord, some of us are going through all kinds of trials because we've run from you, but if you can hear Jonah, if you could hear his prayer from the belly of that sea monster, then we believe that you can hear our prayers right now. We come to you, not that we deserve it, but we're coming in Jesus' name. Lord, we're afraid. Jonah was afraid to do your will. 
He was afraid to go to Nineveh. We're afraid sometimes to completely surrender. Help us to trust you that you will work things together for good. The whole city repented when he listened. We know there's people that you want to reach because of our lives of surrender. Help us be willing to do what you want us to do and go where you want us to go. Pour out your spirit in each person's life, Lord. Especially be with the young people that are making decisions that are going to chart their course for years to come. That they'll arise and listen to your word. Bless each one, Lord. Give us peace right now. And I pray that as your church and your people, we will wake up and realize that the world around us is perishing and we'll be willing to speak for you. We thank you and we ask this and pray for your blessing. All in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.